The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the School. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Hey, not much. It's uh, been a wild week, and let's get into it. All right. Know the Score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can find us on Twitter at KTSPod. You can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. And you can follow me on Twitter at Don Delorente. All right, so Dwayne, the NFL came down with their new policy regarding the national anthem. And it states any team personnel, including players who are on the field, must stand and show respect for the anthem. Any player who does not want to stand can remain in the locker room without discipline. Teams and players are subject to fines if anyone on the sideline is not standing during the playing of the national anthem. Dwayne, your thoughts. Mm. It's stupid. I mean, it's ridiculous. This. All these all-layers are pussies, pretty much. I hate to be colorful with the language, but that's just what it is. It's called Spade of Spade. All these owners are pussies. They're afraid of our their president. I want to say their president because they ain't my president. I'm sorry. Um, I don't like it. And the fact that they didn't even have an official vote on it makes it even worse and didn't even consult the Players Association about it and give their input, uh, that could be a violation of the collective bargaining agreement. So, I mean, everybody is detractors of this thing. They're missing the whole point of this. It's not about disrespecting the flag. It's not about disrespecting the troops. I mean, it was it was a veteran who... Suggested to Colin Kaepernick to take a knee. That would be the most respectful thing to do. And and this is what, you know, we have been boiled down to. People who are not of color do not get it, and they will not get it unless they radically open their minds to what the heck is going on here. I mean, this is about police brutality and you know, the treatment of the of black and brown people. And all they had to do is look at look at the Milwaukee police video of the NBA player Sterling Brown. And that will pretty much say why these NFL players started to take a knee in and uh, make social injustices aware about the NFL. And is this part of the whole initiative, social justice initiative that the players and the NFL agreed upon? Because if that is, this is a sham. This whole thing's a sham. It's stupid. I don't even want to get my blood boiled talking about it. So I'll, I'll um, lay out for a minute. Yeah, it was very fitting that the Sterling Brown um, video came out 
later on in the day after they announced this um, new policy regarding the national anthem. So it kind of just shed the light on like, hey, this is the exact reason the the owners of football have always had an expendable thought process about these players. You know, guys lose careers, you know, every season, bring a new one in. So I think that they're kind of looking at this like this. Okay, if somebody wants to be outside of the realm, then, you know, we'll just ship them out and get a new one in. But I don't think until something like, unfortunately, what happened to Sterling Brown happens to a prominent NFL player that they'll probably get it and be like, oh, okay. Because, you know, the offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals isn't a everyday household face, right? So, you know, it would be very likely that if something were to happen involving police, that, you know, they would not recognize who he was. And then if something unfortunate happened to him, everyone would know who he was. This happened with Michael Bennett, but because of, I guess, Michael Bennett's reputation, nobody wanted to take it as seriously as they should have. Right. You know, something, you know, something's with some players, you know, some people don't look at it the same. But if this happens to, you know, stand up citizen player, backup player, kind of like Sterling Brown, you know, and I don't think people are loud enough about that. That doesn't seem to have caught the fire that the people in Milwaukee thought it was going to because they were like, oh, my goodness, this could be, you know, the worst thing ever because it just shows how aggressive the police were compared to him. And so, you know, once the the owners took that weekend and they all got out there and did what they did, you knew something was going to be afoot. The next thing was going to be not in the favor of the players and this has definitely been that next shoe to drop right and then on top of that you it has a, like you said to piggyback off what you said it hasn't happened to somebody like odell beckham or or uh i don't know cam newton it has a happened to somebody of that sort for people to be like oh this is a franchise player right and and um, like I think if it, the situation in Milwaukee happened to Giannis Antetokounmpo, that probably would have created a lot more um, fire. Yeah. But right. it's just—it's really just—it's really like—it's like pretty much you have the point here and you have the curved line that goes away from the point, and you know these owners definitely missed the point on this and. I think they were very hasty with it. And like I said, dude, you know, this is a violation of the CBA. This is not going to be good. I think if the players all stood in the locker room and then come out, like make a huge statement, then something the players need to make a bigger statement. I know, you know, everybody's got checks and everything. I mean, if you're going to not be disciplined, everybody needs to stay in the locker room. And then that will really kind of just show – how serious that this is. Right. Um, you guys to uh, take a listen, go back a couple of weeks, maybe like maybe four episodes to the right time podcast where Bomani Jones interviewed Howard Bryant. And they brought up a very good point. We're in the post nine 11 sports world where all of this patriotism and showing of the flag and, you know, this rah, rah USA stuff has kind of been thrust into the, you know, 
sports landscape unlike it was before. Yeah, when we were growing up as kids, it wasn't all about the national anthem before the game and blah, 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 blah. It was commercial break. They never showed the flyovers. They never showed the flag in the stadium. They never showed the people standing up. It was like a very special occasion, like an all-star game or maybe the first game of the World Series or something like that, that they would actually show you the national anthem on TV growing up. So, you know, just take a listen to that podcast and they kind of take a deep dive into kind of this, you know, patriotism being marketed through sports and how, you know, they're using the sporting events to recruit, you know, different people for the different branches and things like that. It's very interesting. Right. And I also think too, you know, and, and me, me personally, I get conflicted about it all the time because, you know, my, my grandfather's both served, my dad served, you know, so directly, you know, you know, by proxy does, you know, put me in, and when this initially happened, it put me in the middle of the whole thing because I'll be honest, you know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, I was born in this country, you know, but at the same time, I'm still a black man in this country. And at the same time, you know, living in the South, you know, for the vast majority of my life, I'm thankful I did you know, we did uh, decide to move to the South so I could be more aware of what is going on. And, and you know, I'm thankful for, you know, all the sacrifices that my dad and, you know, every troop that has served in the past and in the present, you know, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, you know, at the same time, it's just like, you know, I see these videos, I see these stories and, you know, it's still sickening at the end of the day because as much as we feel like there's progress, you know, there's no progress because we get knocked back like 30 steps after moving like 10. Right, right. So thank you for those words. Very poignant. So we're going to move on to some competition. She's going to move on to the NHL, the Golden Knights. They rolled through the Winnipeg Jets in five games to advance to the Stanley Cup Finals in their very first year of existence. Dwayne, I know a lot of the quote-unquote hockey purists did not like this revelation. They did not like the way that the Golden Knights in their first year could be good enough to roll through the regular season and roll through the Stanley Cup playoffs. But now they're here. So talk about what they did in the Western Conference Finals to the Jets and kind of how you think they they are as far as health-wise and strategy-wise coming into the Stanley Cup Finals. Do I have to? Do I really, really have to? Yeah, no. man, you got to. <laughs> They're here now. Oh, yeah. They, unfortunately, they are here. I'm one of those. I'm on the side of the Pierce. I mean, this team was pretty much constructed – very lenient and compared to teams past. I mean, you look at the expansion teams of the past and the nine, I'm, and I'm referring to like the nineties and I referring to the whole of uh, Western division and the NHL in uh, 1967, 68. So not referring to that, but the look at the sharks, look at the Tampa Bay lightning, look at the Ottawa senators, the Florida Panthers, uh, Anaheim Ducks, formerly Mighty Ducks Anaheim. Then let's look at the National Predators, 
the Atlanta now win, Atlanta Thrashers now Winnipeg Jets, Columbus Blue Jackets, Minnesota Wild. All these teams had a lot of heavy restrictions to build their team. And they had to take lumps along the way before getting success. I mean, some teams didn't even get that success. I mean, the Thrashers didn't get really become successful until they moved to Winnipeg and became the second incarnation of the Jets. And so the way Vegas was constructed, I mean, they had a lot of leniency. The NHL wanted to be the first team to get this team, the first lead to be established in Vegas. They are trying to beat the Raiders and pretty much say, hey, you know, sports can't make it in Vegas. So they built this team. I mean, every team, all the 30 other teams, could only protect five players. And so there are a lot of talent available, and you got to give Vegas credit for taking advantage of the situation and picking the best guys that were not, that were unprotected. And they drafted very well. And, you know, they built that chemistry in the offseason. As soon as they found out who was part of the team, they built that chemistry. Got to give George McPhee a lot of credit. Got to give Gerard Gallant a lot of credit. I mean, this man went from being left at the airport when he got fired by the Florida Panthers, and he's in the Stanley Cup final. So uh, the way Vegas has gone about it, they, they're very good on the four check. They're very good on the defense. They're fast on offense. The transition game is amazing. And, you know, they beat the Jets at their own game because this is how the Winnipeg Jets uh, got into the conference final, but the Jets also had a seven-game war against the uh, Nashville Predators, and when they had to win in Nashville to move on, and I think they got, I think that series it was so physical, and uh, Vegas pretty much was able to rest throughout because, you know, they swept the LA Kings, they made light work of the San Jose Sharks. I mean, it was six games, but don't let the don't let those it looked like those four games away or four or five games away they played. Um, I mean, they got they were literally a overturned goal away from winning in five. And so this team is very good. This team is legit. I will give them credit. Do I hope that they win? No. I don't want them to win. I, I think it would kind of just be I as a fan, I don't want them to win, but you know, if they do, they got home ice for the Stanley Cup, you know, considering who their opponent is. And, but if Jonathan Marshall, who was acquired for the Florida Panthers, uh, Vegas is undefeated when he scores a goal. So, counting key on him and William Carlson, Cody Eakin, those guys will be the key to getting getting past this team and rattling Marc-Andre Fleury as well. All right. On the other side, the Washington Capitals, they won game seven in Tampa Bay, four to nothing to advance to the Stanley Cup finals for the first time since 1998. Um, Alexander Ovechkin started the game off one minute, 12 seconds into it with a flutterfly that found the back of the net and the Capitals were on their way to uh, relieving all the angst in DC sports because everybody was watching this game with their eyes closed. 
There's not a lot of confidence in the Capitals after they uh, had that 2 nothing lead. Like we said last week, you know, uh, the series could turn even though the Capitals were winning uh, two games to none going home. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, things flipped over and uh, Tampa Bay came out and they found their groove. And then the Capitals had to fight back, but they got it done. So Ovi and the boys are headed into the Stanley Cup for the first time. So do the same thing. Talk about kind of the Capitals, their grueling series against Tampa Bay, and kind of which is how's their health and their kind of strategy going into the Stanley Cup final. Okay, so the Capitals, they're a very good road team. We, we've uh, kind of documented that over the last few weeks. Uh, this is the first time Alex Ovechkin is in the Stanley Cup. It's taken him a good 13 years to get here. But uh, he did have a few roadblocks, mainly Sidney Crosby, over the last several years. That was in the way of a uh, not only a Stanley Cup final, but a conference final. He could never get out the second round. Uh, shout out to Barry Trotz, who was one of the coaches who could never get out of the second round uh, from his days in Nashville and from his time in Washington as well. So uh, Barry Trotz, good coach. Um, very good regular season coach. He's finally got these guys over that second round hump into the conference final. I like the capital speed. I love, uh, I love, oh, Benchkin, of course, he's the leader of this team. He's really the, uh, heart and soul of this team, the captain, the, the leader. And, you know, his commitment to Washington. And believing in what the Capitals have been doing over the last decade and, you know, not giving up on the team, he could have easily said, I want out. But, you know, signing a gigantic extension and and uh, getting their second conference title, you know, the first in 20 years. And ironically, the general manager who got who constructed that 1998 team is the current GM of Vegas. So... That is going to be a very interesting matchup, old team and and new team. And what I like about the Capitals there, besides their speed, is uh, Brandon Holby in between the pipes. Not only did they shut out Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay, they also he also got a shutout in Game Six in Washington that's forced that Game Seven. So, um, you know, uh, Holby is on fire right now. Uh, you know, he can get the job done on the road. He can get the job done at home. And, you know, I don't know what Washington was thinking uh, when they started Philip Grobnier, the back of goalie in the first two games. But uh, I, I think Braden Holby is the man right now. He's, you know, since he got between the nets after the first two games in, uh, in the Columbus series, and uh, he's been really lights out ever since. Um, a lot of good supporting cast, uh, Dimitri Orlov, Brooks Orpig, TJ Oshie, Evgeny Kisnetsov, and, uh, you know, uh, Andre Borowski, who had a huge game seven. He scored the two insurance goals that, that gave the Capitals their, you know, their Stanley Cup appearance here. I like the health of the Capitals. I think, you know, nobody really got banged up in this series, no major injuries either. So they got a pretty good rest for Monday before they, you know, fly to Vegas for game one on Monday night. 
I think they could steal home ice in Vegas, but, you know, I'm still wary of this team at home. And if we get this team, if they can get the, if they can get the home cooking going and, you know, keep home ice advantage, they'll be in good shape. And, you know, so I want to say I could see this series going six or seven. And I would love to see, I'd love to see the Capitals win it in six. All right. There you have it. The prediction from the labor icon, Capitals in six. So you sticking with that? You feel good about that? Or that's just your heart over your head? I would say that I feel good about it. I really do. I think I think they can take I think they can take uh like I said, they can take home ice. I think Vegas will um Vegas will win game five at home. I can see the capital or I can see the series going either three one Washington or two two going back, but I see it ending in DC and game six. All right, all right. At this time, we just want to let you know that in this week's episode of Know the Score is being brought to you by Amazon.com. Go to CSPN.us, click on the tab that says uh, support our sponsors. Click down to where you can uh, click on the Amazon tab. Do your shopping as you normally would. Father's Day is coming. Get something for your dad early. Don't wait for till the last minute. And some of your purchase will come back to Know the Score and CSPN to help keep the podcast free each and every week. So Amazon.com through CSPN.us, do it today. All right, Dwayne, we're going to go into the NBA playoffs. King James, he got some help from his friends to force a game seven versus the Celtics. Coming up, the home team has won every game of this series. So if the trend holds true, you're looking good for tomorrow or game seven, rather. Correct. If the trend doesn't hold true, though, and LeBron has his game seven that he's been having because he's been coming out with two back-to-back 40-point games, his guys have been playing well for him, even though one of the 40-point games he did get beat. Um, Yes, make sure you say that, yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) So the thing that I've seen, though, is that Boston shoots substantially better from three-point line at home because, man, game five, I'm not even believe I'm about to say this. But Marcus Smart was unconscious from the three-point line. Right. And they jump on him early and quick. So if they can kind of use that formula in game seven, then, you know, the the, the trend may hold. But I'll get your, you know, in-depth personal analysis on it. Well, I mean, pretty much this was the supporting cast more so than LeBron. I mean, LeBron – is going to get his. I mean, he's going to get the triple doubles. He's going to get the 40-point games. But it's going to be who else is going to step up, especially now that Kevin's love status is right. in the air for Game 7 because he he, you know, he's got to go through the concussion protocol. And, you know, I won't – I mean, before we even try to malign Kevin Love, Kevin Love has had some very good games quietly. But after that, the drop off is, you know, extremely bad, you know, and especially on the road at home. I mean, this time it was George, it was George Hill and Jeff Green that did the job. Larry Nance was perfect from the field, uh, five for five. Uh, but it was mainly, uh, George Hill, Jeff Green in game six and game four. It was, uh, Kyle Corver 
pretty, and I think Game Three is Kyle Korver as well. So um, they've got the support at home, but when you look at the road, it's really just been LeBron and Kevin Love and nobody else. So now you have to look at it. Where is the support going to come from? I mean, J.R. Smith has probably built at least two Boston skyscrapers in the three games in Boston. I mean, he's been pretty bad. Um, you think Jeff Green would be the guy, considering he's played, he's had two stints with the Celtics, but, you know, he apparently has forgot how to shoot in the garden. Um, and it could be a little bit of the ghost of the garden's past. I don't know. Um, but one thing we forget also is the Celtics have been in the game seven already this year. I mean, yes, it was against the Milwaukee Bucks, but, you know, yes, they had a, they are, they had a freak in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Then they had to play two, you know, freaks of nature in Joel Embiid. And then they had to play the king of, you know, the, the king pretty much. And now I think, you know, I think we've underestimated Boston all year. I think a lot of people thought they would not even get by Milwaukee in the first round because they lost Kyrie and uh, Gordon. And then they said the Sixers would be the team to watch the Celtics, and then the Sixers would watch the Cavs, and we would be seeing the Sixers in the finals, but the Celtics especially them at five. I think they can do it, but they're going to have to play. They're going to have to play very, very well. They're going to have to pretty much stop the four other guys. Um, you know, get into get in their heads a little bit. I know Tristan Thompson when he's not focused, he's very in. He's very unreliable. Uh, J.R. Smith, see if his garden woes continue. You got to see that George Hill. You know, apparently Chipotle is a superpower. Don't find a Chipotle in Boston. So I don't know. I just think that anything can happen in the game seven. You know, maybe LeBron goes for 60 and the Cavs get the win. Or or, uh, Boston, you know, will shock the world once again and end this run. And we may be seeing a repeat of 2010 when LeBron left the Garden in the Cavs jersey. He took that jersey off pretty quickly. Will we see a repeat of that? So uh, we shall wait and see. All right. Over in the Western Conference, the Warriors face elimination at home in game six after the Rockets have won the last two games. Andre Iguodala has missed the last two games and Chris Paul is out for game six with an injured hamstring. So a lot of people have been coming down on Kevin Durant because of his uh, lack of wanting to take the last shot in these last couple of games. He passed the ball to Clay Thompson in game five. He passed the ball to uh, Quinn Cook in games. uh Excuse me, game four. That was where he passed the ball to uh, Clay Thompson. Game five, he passed the ball to Quinn Cook. Um, for me, they're turning the ball over too much. Uh, they had 18 turnovers in game five. They outplayed the Rockets in every category except for three point field goals made and free throws made. Everything else was the Warriors' advantage. Rebounding, shooting percentage. The only thing was they had 18 turnovers. So if they can cut those turnovers down, uh, they should be okay for game six, but, um, it's just been a case of, you know, they also going to a little bit too much ISO ball with Kevin Durant, I think, 
and not and then that kind of throws their offense off. That seems like that's been the kind of the problem in the beginning of these fourth quarters, the past two games as well. But that's kind of what I've seen, Dwayne. Kind of what what are you looking at? What you've seen these past two games between Houston and Golden State? Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially with the turnovers. I mean, but that's been the Warriors' Achilles heel through this championship run. They're always a great team. They always have the advantages in every category, but they they keep their opponents in the game by turning the ball over because they try to do the most. And when they simplify their game, they're very difficult to beat. But when they try to do more than what they're supposed to, then everything just gets out of order and they, they don't focus. They don't do things the right way. And and that's what's going to plague them. But I'm going to be looking to see if James Harden steps his game up without Chris Paul, or are we going to see uh, James Harden will under the pressure? I mean, we've seen, we've seen before how, you know, James Harden gets this far and then he disappears. So my whole thing is now do, does he do the same thing in terms of, uh, does he step it up and get this, um, get this team going or, or um, does he wait on Chris Paul and get back to Houston, get back home for Game 7? Uh, if I'm the Rockets, I'm looking to try to win, get that extra rest. Um, but I know if uh, if it's a Game 7, we all know Chris Paul's going to play. Chris Paul ain't going to sit this one out. Um, but I think it will go 7. Uh, Draymond Green pretty much said we will be back in Houston for Game 7. Um, you know, there's confidence is a waiver in there, even though he was the one that drunkenly dropped the ball. I don't know what happened in that last possession. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the whole, the Quinn Cook thing, I don't know why. Hey, I don't know. I know Iguodala, this is where Iguodala was missed because I think he would have either drove to the basket or passed the ball to Steph Curry, who was open. I, a lot of people don't realize how open Steph Curry was. and There's plenty of time on the shot clock. And the way Quinn Cook uh, Quinn Cook hesitated on that three-pointer. I don't know if his hands were shaking or his eyes got so big on how open he was, but when he took that shot, it was just a very bad shot. So I don't know if Durant was, you know, Durant cannot be unselfish at times like this, you know, and let's just say if this was LeBron doing that, he would be ether to the, it would be dissected all over the place for the next 48 hours. So uh, Durant's got to be more aggressive. And and uh, like you said, keep the ball moving. Stop trying. They don't need people standing around unless it's for the last shot. Uh, the Warriors are based on ball movement. And when they're not moving the ball, they look very, very bad. They're not a good half-court team. And that's so, that's what I've seen out of these last few games. So uh, I think the Warriors, I said this would go six or seven. I said Warriors in seven um, about a week or two ago. So I think this will go to seven Warriors still on the road. Uh, Very much an unsung hero for the Rockets has been Eric Gordon. He's had some really good games, uh, the last three games especially, uh, off the bench. Him and P.J. Tucker are basically the bench crew 
and Gerald Green are the bench crew for Houston right now. And those three guys are definitely outplaying what the Warriors are putting on the, on the court off their bench. And they're getting timely rebounds and, and scoring and, and key possessions. So uh, you have to give a big tip of the hat to Dan Tony for kind of shortening his bench down and, and concentrating on the three guys who can help him the most and, and giving them as much time as they can. Because, I mean, Gordon's been smoking the past two games. Yeah, he has. And, you know, either he makes a great play or he makes a not-so-great play. There's never anything in between. So he's done more He's done more good than harm. But when he does the harmful plays, it really gets magnified. But Eric Gordon's been playing lights out. I agree. All right. So uh, the last time me and you talked, Dwayne, it, they were getting ready to have the draft lottery. And we finished up recording right before it started. So we'll talk about that as the Phoenix Suns. They were the odds-on favorite to get the number one pick, and it held true. Followed by the Sacramento Kings at number two, the Atlanta Hawks are number three, the Memphis Grizzlies are number four, and the Dallas Mavericks round out the top five for this year's NBA Draft Lottery. So it looks like it's going to be uh, the big kid Aiton from Arizona or the, I can't pronounce his first name, but Donich from overseas. Uh, Luka Doncic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. His team just won uh, their European championship uh, a yeah. couple of days ago. So those look like the, the favorites to kind of be the first two picks. There's been some rumors that uh, Donich will kind of stay over uh, one more year and kind of see what happens in next year's lottery or whatever to kind of pick and choose kind of where he, his situation he wants to go to. So just talk about doing your thoughts about the teams who are at the top of the draft and kind of some prospects on who might be the best fit for one, two, and three. Well, the Phoenix Suns need to – I mean, it's a very loaded young team. You got Alex Lynn, Josh Jackson, uh, Tyler Ulis, uh DeAndre, it will be an instant uh, scoring. Uh, it's scoring uh, – and rebounder, uh, and I think you put him either with or next, either behind or even with Tyson Chandler, who's a veteran presence there. Uh, that could help his uh, development there. Uh, Seems like Tyson Chandler's enjoying the retirement in the Arizona weather more than anything else. So, but you know the Suns are open to trading, so they do have the top pick, and you know they do have some expendable pieces with the young stars. And of course, Devin Booker can't forget Devin Booker. Um, who's already came out and said he's tired of not being in the playoffs, even though he's never been there. So, um, that's definitely something that we have to, uh, be aware. So, uh, Ryan McDonald, the son's a GM. He is a Danny Ames disciple. So we could be seeing, uh, trader Ryan come into a, Effect in the offseason uh, with that number one pick dangling, and they might get some veteran, might get some veteran uh, presence to play alongside Booker and Jackson, and and uh, maybe deal that number one pick. Uh, the Sacramento Kings, um, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, you thought, I mean, they got De'Aaron Fox, who is who definitely. Um, if they if they have more than three finalists for the rookie of the year who are well deserving finalists, um, Simmons, Tatum, and Mitchell, but uh, De'Aaron Fox would be a definite. He had some flashes of brilliance. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein is also there. 
Um, this team is very young. This team is very, very young, very, I mean, they have some veterans there, um, but are they trying to build for the future or are they trying to win now? We, I, you know, I think they're still trying to build for the future, but, you know, you haven't been to the playoffs in 12 years. You got a brand new arena. Uh, you're very, your team is very attractive, but you just got to make, Vladdy's got to make the right moves here to, um, get this team back to where it was in the early 2000s. I think this this uh, city of Sacramento is starving for some playoff success. They fought to keep this team. The team needs to reward the city with some kind of um, playoff appearance. Uh, who was the third pick? Uh, the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. Hawks. Yes, sir. Yeah, so the Atlanta Hawks, they got a new head coach uh, from Philadelphia, Lloyd Pierce. Um, Dennis Schroeder has already said he doesn't want to be part of a rebuilding project. So he could be a he can be a um, trade piece there. Um, I think he can be he be a trade piece by himself without even having to give up the third pick. Um, I think Trey Young would be a very good marketable guy for the Hawks um, if you put him at number three. Um, this would be the he would be the immediate face of the franchise because I mean Torian Prince is probably the best player on that roster aside from Schroeder. So you think a Schroeder Prince and Young Triumvirate that could be a force to be reckoned with in a few years, and especially with the Hawks uh, getting their new uh, G League team in College Park for that's in the future coming up as well. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies. They just were a mess, uh, injury riddled mess. Um, Mark Gasol was out most of the year. Mike Conley's out most of the year. I think they just got the number four pick because of the misfortune of of what happened. Of course, they fired David Fisdale, who's now the next head coach. Uh, J.B. Vickerstaff will be the head coach going forward. Um, I think it just depends on who they pick and and uh, how he fits in with uh, Mark Gasol and Mike Conley and see how it goes from there. All right. So that's the NBA uh, wrap for uh, this week. So on our next show, we will have the NBA finals to preview. Uh, it'll be, and it will actually have some action in the Stanley cup to talk about as well. So I'm looking forward to that next week here on know the score. So, Dwayne, at this point, I'm going to open it up to you for your final uh, thoughts and thank yous and shout outs. Uh, black women, I love you. I cherish you. And keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. You have a supporter here. Uh, happy birthday to my grandfather. Uh, his birthday was yesterday, so shout out to him. Um, final thought, really, Champions League final today. It's on Liverpool and Real Madrid. I have my Liverpool jersey on. I hope we get this uh, sixth trophy. Uh, It's really kind of funny. Um, The countries are believing in their own teams. Uh, Everybody in Madrid and Spain thinks Real Madrid is going to hoist the trophy for a third time and watch Liverpool. Uh, But, you know, in England, everybody's got Liverpool. Uh, winning it all and halting Real's uh, grip on the uh, trophy. 
the UEFA Trophy. Um, shout out to uh, uh, Auto Racing as well. We got three great races coming up on Sunday with the uh, F1 Grand Prix in Monaco. Then you have the Indy 500 in Indianapolis. Uh, it's the 102nd running of it. And the uh, Coca-Cola 600, which is right around the corner from my parents' house in Concord, North Carolina. So those are my final thoughts, and I'll turn it over to you, Don. All right. I was going to talk about the racing, but you got that one in on me, so thank you very much. So I'll just give shout-outs this week to everybody who listens to Know the Score each and every week. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. I'd like to give a big shout-out to everybody who listened to the Know the Score special from the All-Star Race last week as I got to cover uh, the NASCAR All-Star Race from Charlotte. It was a lot of fun, so I'd like to give a big shout-out to Telvin McKirkland, the tire carrier on the number six, Ralph's friend Way Ford. I'd like to give a shout-out to Scott Bowen, the pit crew coach for the number six pit crew. I'd like to give a shout out to Miss Deja Gilliam who joined us. She uh, works in the um, industry communications department. Now, Mr. Daniel Suarez, Joey Logano, Steve O'Donnell, and Kevin Harvick all for answering my questions in the media center and the post race press conference. That was a lot of fun to be able to cover uh, the race from all aspects. So just give a big shout out to everybody at Charlotte Motor Speedway, the media center. Uh, it was a great experience and I uh, can't wait to do it again. So um, for the Libra icon, I'm Don DeLorente. And now, you know the school.